Welcome to the Meditation Podcast. You can find all our episodes on the meditationpodcast.org. We're also on BitChute and YouTube. I also have four other podcasts, The Awakening Podcast, Exposing Fraud and Corruption, But With Solutions, Learn Polish Podcast, The Crypto Podcast, and The Speaking Podcast, as well as being a podcasting coach. You'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. My guest, happiness coach, but also an author of three best-selling books. Please welcome Danny DeNovo. Hi, how are you today? I'm very good. So I briefly mentioned that you're best-selling author of three books and a happiness coach, but you might let the listeners know a bit more about you. Sure. Well, I'm also a mom, and that's kind of where my journey in happiness started. I was a lawyer. I'm still kind of a lawyer, but I was a full-time lawyer, and I was living the life that I thought everyone was supposed to live. I had a good job. I had a nice house. I had a nice car and I was married <laughs> and I was living my life, but I was miserable and I knew I was miserable, but I never did anything to change it because I didn't know how. And then my daughter was born. And one day when she was a year old, I was in the kitchen and I was making dinner. I was stirring a pot on the stove and um, I was making sauce. So it was very deliberate, slow strokes. And my daughter was on the floor and she's playing with her play bowls and spoons. <clears throat> and she looks up at me and she picks up her bowl and spoon and she started mimicking my stirring. And she was being very deliberate and looking at me for sort of this validation, you know, just like mommy. And I said, yeah, just like mommy. But as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I almost fainted on top of my daughter because I realized that she was doing everything just like mommy, copying mommy. And I was teaching her how to live this very lonely, depressed, and unfulfilled life. So I sat on the floor, and I grabbed her, and I cried my eyes out, and I promised her that I was going to learn everything there was to know about being happy. Now, I didn't think I could be happy. I didn't think I was wired for it because most of my life I had been pretty depressed and anxious and suffered through a lot of things. But I was going to learn for her sake, and I figured she was young enough that if she learned now that she could have a great life. And so I set out to learn about happiness. I started studying it like I was studying for the bar exam back in law school. Um, and the funny thing is, is I, I started finding teachers and gurus and people all over the world who I thought kind of had some insight into this idea of happiness. And uh, the ones who liked me and, and taught me, when I started implementing what they were teaching, my life very quickly started to change. And so I was like, huh, okay, maybe I could be wired for happiness. And um, and then everyone in my life thought I was nuts. They thought I was crazy because I was now living this very different life than I had before. Um, and it was it became a very isolating journey for me because a lot of people left my life because of it. Uh, but I felt alive. I felt on fire. And so it was not something that I was going to put down. I kept going. And then one day my little brother came to me. And he said, uh, you know, wait, what are you doing? You're talking about this stuff and you're reading this stuff. And I said, well, everyone thinks I'm crazy. And he's like, well, I'm interested. And I said, okay, well, I'm doing this, this, and this. Why? And he said, well, you, you seem happy. And I have never seen you like this before. Um, and then he said, you know, if it's working for you, do you think it could work for me too? And I said, oh, I, you know, I didn't even realize how much he was suffering. So I said, yeah, let's try it. And so he started doing some of these things and his life started to change. And that's when I was like, oh, I wonder if I could recreate this for people kind of over and over again and they can avoid that suffering, that pain, or at least bring themselves out of the pain like I had. And that's kind of how I became a happiness coach. 
Excellent. And like, I definitely want to delve into it because I've listened to a lot of the shows and the TVs that you've been on, but I want to kind of just touch back a small bit just to kind of let people know of how bad it was because yeah. sometimes people think, oh yeah, sure. She was depressed about her, but it was, it was fairly deep. And I prefer that you kind of, I, I know it's kind of hard kind of talking about this, but there's a lot of people suffering at the moment and right. to kind of understand you can make a transition. Perhaps you can kind of show them, Hey, look where I've come from. Sure. So I was, uh, I was the expert in unhappiness. I really was. And mine started Oh, you know, young, probably around 12 or 13, I started feeling off. I felt different and I wasn't excited about the same things that I was excited about. I had been a great student and suddenly school wasn't all that important to me. I didn't really want to do anything. And I didn't like that feeling because it didn't feel like me. I thought I was sick. I was tired all the time. And I just, I, you know, I was like, something's not right. So I went to my parents and I said, Hey, I think I'm sick sick. This is what's going on. And they were like, no, it's just teenage hormones. Things are changing. You're just going to kind of have to feel this out. You're going to be okay. And I wasn't so sure about it, but I listened to them and I pushed through it. And then it just kept getting worse. And I went back to them. I said, look, this is bad. This is really bad. I, I just, I don't feel right. I feel weird. And, and it was hard for me to explain a lot of this stuff, but at the time, I was feeling tremendous guilt and I couldn't really figure out why that was. And just down, I just couldn't pick myself up. I just didn't want to get through the day. And um, they finally said, okay. So they took me to the doctor. They start running blood tests. Of course, they can't find anything wrong. And I'm going to specialist after specialist. And finally, one person says, hey, I'd really like for you to talk to this one woman in my office. Would you do that for me? And I said, yeah, I just want to get better. So I'll do whatever you want me to do. And um, and she was a therapist. So I sat down across the table from her and I started telling her everything that I felt and what was going on. And she just kind of leaned back in her chair and said, honey, I think you're depressed. And I said, well, I don't even know what that means, but I don't think I am. And let me tell you why. Because even at the age of 16, I kind of knew that I had a pretty good life compared to most people. I mean, I had never really seen violence. I I had I lived in a nice home. I went to a good school. Uh, I, I grew up with horses. I mean, my life was, you know, as far as I saw, it was pretty good. And, um, and, she, and she just looked at me again. She said, honey, I think you're depressed. And I said, okay, well, what do we do about it? Because I don't know anything about this. Um, but, you know, I know it's not a good thing to have. And I know people don't really look at it as a good thing to have. So she said, well, I think we should start you on some medication. And so she picked up the phone and she called the doctor. And the next thing I know, I started on this journey of trying medicine after medicine, um, which I believe just made me worse. I mean, it. Um, I did not do well on the medication. I... I became very spacey. My pupils dilated horribly. I couldn't go outside without sunglasses on. Um, I just felt very detached from myself, very foggy. And um, and then I became really suicidal. And uh, I managed to graduate high school. I went off to my first year of college. And then, of course, I started drinking on top of taking the medication. Um, but I did really well my first year of college for some reason even though I was, you know, I was not good. I was blacked out drunk. Um, I really did not like myself very much. Somehow I made it through and I went home for the summer and I crashed. 
And uh, I tried to go back for sophomore year. I made it a few weeks and then had to call my parents to come pick me up. And I ended up um, voluntarily committing myself to a mental institution because I was that suicidal. Um, and I knew that I was I was behaving recklessly and that I was probably going to get lucky sooner or later. So I went there and I got more and more medication prescribed for me. So now I'm really feeling detached and out of control. And but now I'm going into uh, group therapy sessions with these women who are also there with me. I mean, it's a full lockdown unit. And um, and they're talking about abusive relationships and losing children. And I mean, just the things that they had to go through, how traumatic they were. And here I am sitting here and I don't really have a reason. I'm just really depressed. And so I feel even more tremendous guilt. And I have all this shame piling up about, you know, being the young girl on the psych ward now. It just wasn't a good situation. But they gave me more medication. After two weeks, they let me go home. And um, I held it together through the holidays for the sake of my family. But then on the other side of it, I really tanked. And I said, I got to go back because I don't want to live anymore. And I know that I'm going to succeed. And so when I went back in, you know, they said, we've done everything we can do for you. We've got nothing left. And I said, well, you don't understand if I leave here, I know I'm not coming back. I know I'm not really going back anywhere. I'm I'm going to I'm going to succeed in this. And I'm just telling you that now. And they said, well, the only other option we have left for you is electroshock therapy. And, um, you know, I, what did I know? I was 19. I had zero life experience at that point. Um, I didn't have anyone advocating for me. My parents just didn't know what to do. They were just, I mean, they're just confused. Um, and so I said, okay, well, I, again, I want to get better. So I'll do what I need to do. And I signed on the dotted line. I was of majority age, so it was all good. And the next thing I know, they're wheeling me down to the secret part of the mental institution that no one knows about. It's underground in the middle of the building. And, um, and I get wheeled in there on the wheelchair and there's, you know, this is obviously way before COVID. So, I mean, everyone's already suited up. Looks like they're going into surgery with their masks on and everything. And I got very confused. I was like, you know, I'm not having surgery. And they're like, well, you're going under anesthesia. And I was like, oh, well, what exactly, you know, is going on here? And then this woman just shoved this medicine cup in my face. And she said, here, here's two pills, take these and you can't have any water. And I said, oh, I was like, please, no more medication. I can't take any more. And she said, no, honey, it's Tylenol. Trust me, you'll be glad that you took it later. So I choked on the pills and they strapped me down and they wheel me through these two double doors into this room that I swear looked like Frankenstein's laboratory. I mean, there's just, you know, there's whirring and there's dials and switches and big levers everywhere. I mean, it looked like this thing had been built in like the 1600s. I mean, it was just frightening. And um, and I started to cry and shake. And I said, you know what? I think I changed my mind. I don't want to do this. And um, by that time, they had already put the anesthesia in me and I was starting to, you know, go black. And the last thing I remember is they pushed my head down onto the bed and they strapped that down. And as my head hit the pillow behind me, I just saw this giant man coming at me with these two big probes in his hand. And then I blocked out. And uh, when I woke up, I woke up in this dark room and I opened my eyes and I was like, oh, you know, I was so glad I had taken that Tylenol because I had a headache, like I had been hit in the head with a sledgehammer. 
I went through those treatments every other day for weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, I eventually got discharged and I would still go in for a morning treatment at the beginning of the day and um and then sleep it off the rest of the day and uh and then one night i was at dinner with uh with the same little brother that came to me in the story before and he started telling the story about us on our ponies when we were little and he was very animated about it It was like a very very important very positive memory for him right so he's like going through the story he's like we went here and we weren't allowed to but we did anyway and then we jumped over this creek and he's like don't you remember we found this and I can't remember any of what he's talking about. Um, and he just keeps going. And, and then I can see his face start to drop. He's so upset that I can't remember this very important childhood memory. So I, I just felt so bad. So I started saying, yeah. And I just started repeating back to him what he had said. And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember? And I said, yeah, yeah, I remember. And I pushed myself away from the dinner table. I ran into my bedroom and I pulled my photo album out from underneath my bed and I started going through the pictures and I realized that I had lost most of my childhood memories. I just couldn't remember anything. Um, and that's what really scared me. I mean, I was not getting better. I was no less depressed than I was at the beginning of the treatments, but I was so scared and so just physically torn up that I went to them and I said, you know what? I, I'm good. I am not depressed anymore. We can stop. And they said, okay, well, you prove it. And I said, okay, what do I have to do? So they gave me a list of things that I had to do. And I had to get, you know, back in school. I got a part-time job. Um, I started doing, you know, things daily and logging it for them and, you know, having people check in on me, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and uh, I, I had remembered my parents telling me at one point in time that that I made life hard for myself because I was always asking questions, right? And asking really hard questions. You know, what is life all about? Why am I here kind of things? And um, they said, I always had to kind of go against the grain. And then if I would just sort of go with the flow like everyone else, that life would be easier. And, and maybe I wouldn't feel as bad as I did. And so I was like, you know what? As nothing else has worked. Maybe this is something that I need to look at. And so I started faking it. And I started being like, quote, everyone else. Uh, I finished school, I went to law school and I put a smile on my face every day, just like everyone else. Uh, again, but I was, I was not a happy person. I was, I was really still dying inside, but the fear of going back to where I had been was enough to put that smile on my face every single day. And, uh, I really don't know how long I could have gone truthfully, um, if my daughter had not been born, I doubt that I would be around right now because I'm pretty sure I would have relapsed um, because I never dealt with the reasons that I was so unhappy, the reasons I was depressed. I didn't know how. I didn't even know what they were and uh, had never really gotten the advice that I needed to really look internally and figure that out. Uh, it was just sort of dealt with symptomatically. Take this pill, you'll feel better. Uh, don't think about it. You'll feel better. Uh, don't do it that way. You'll feel better. And um, and none of that had worked. And so I really thought that there was something wrong with me. Um, you know, add in some not so great relationships in life. And I was in a pretty bad place. I mean, I was not able to make eye contact with myself in my own bathroom mirror. You know, I would catch myself looking at myself and I would have to look away. I just had so much shame and 
such a lack of self-worth at the time that um that I really didn't see any reason for me to be here um but then my daughter came and uh she obviously tethered me enough to really want to look at things and I think that's the most important part is your why you know she became my why when I wake up every morning uh, on my bedroom the first two things I see are a picture of my daughter and then there's a little plaque next to it that says uh, when you feel like quitting remember why you started right so she was the initial way that I pulled myself out of it and then when I started changing then it became a really amazing way to live every single day and uh, and then I had this initial shame of, oh, my goodness, there's so much of this good stuff in life. And I wanted to kill myself. I had no gratitude for it whatsoever. I wasted all that time. But that was something that I had to overcome. And um, I had to put down the shame and the guilt and everything else that was associated with it and sort of and rebuild my self-worth and my self-esteem uh, at the same time trying to find my happiness and find a way to recreate it for my daughter too. So I took on a lot and um, it was something that I absolutely needed to do. Is it easy? No, it is not an easy thing to do to go out and find your happiness. You really have to be brave to want to do it. But uh, again, if your why is big enough, it will push you through the fear push you through the defeated days. And on the other side, it is completely and totally worth it. So for those people who are in their darkest moment, who have hit rock bottom, I, I understand. I know it's not easy. It was not easy for me. Uh, I just found a way to keep going. Beautiful, beautiful. And like just, just a few things that kind of you mentioned on that. One is, you know, the, the tablets that they were giving you because unfortunately, through my own research, a lot of the doctors they're getting kickbacks and i know that yeah. Prozac and there's other ones as well they give them out like smarties and unfortunately they're doing it because they're lining their pockets so that's one thing that i would kind of encourage people because even on more research the toxins in any tablets because they're petrochemicals like they, they actually they're not good for you no matter what and there's right. very few like there's a load of natural things out there. So that's one thing that's kind of like you're too young to know that even there's very few people that actually know that. And it's just through your own research that you find these things out. And right. like, even I had bad back at one stage and I remember getting tablets. I was bouncing off the, the, the doors. I was like, this is not good for me. I don't feel myself. And the other thing is the electrotherapy. I mean, I've heard of that before, but like, is there any kind of evidence that that actually works? Because I mean, that sounds terrifying. And the fact that you actually didn't remember your childhood is, is scary. Like, is there a research to show that it works? Or is that another quackery that they're just pushing on people to pretend it's working? Yeah, you know, it's so hard because, it, you know, there's good therapists and there's bad therapists and there's good doctors and there's bad doctors, unfortunately, right? And how do you know the difference? Um, it, I think experience, like you said, in your own research says a lot. Uh, you know, I, I think it's a very difficult depression is a very difficult thing to treat because if you're a doctor and you've never been depressed, you know, uh, how do you even know what to do? Because think about it, you know, other things are wrong with the human body. It's a little bit different. Everybody has felt physical pain at one point in their life. Right. So they understand that idea. And if you're looking at something like the heart or the kidney or something like that, you have an idea of mechanically how it works, right? I mean, they've done 
they've done their research in medical school. They've physically seen these things working. So they have an idea of, so even if they've never had a heart attack, they can kind of put two and two together and sort of understand what that might feel like. But if you never had depression, how do you really understand that concept? So to treat it, I think is really difficult for someone who's never been through it. Um, so I, I like to give them a little bit of compassion, but at the same time, it would have been great if someone had said, we really have no idea what to do with you because you're such an interesting case. Um, the electroshock therapy, there are physicians who believe that it works. There is, there, I mean, there are studies that have been done. Um, I believe what happens is that they have the same sort of reaction I had, like your brain gets totally scrambled. Um, I mean, I, I was really, I didn't know what planet I was on. I, like, I was lucky if I could kind of make it through the day. Um, and I think it, it does, it does sort of a reset to what the point where your brain is like, I'm just going to focus on survival right now. I don't have time to think about anything else. Um, and so they just kind of, it, it gives you sort of a reset. And I think for some people that gives them the point to be like, okay, we're just going to kind of clear everything out and we're just going to focus on this. Um, and it gives them kind of a, a sense of presence, if you will, that they maybe didn't have before. Uh, but if you do your real research and you see the people that have been subjected to it, um, you know, a lot of them uh, have a really difficult time post-therapy. Uh, a lot of them are are addicts. Um, a lot of them relapse into depression. A lot of people end up committing suicide. Uh, people like me don't make it. And I, I know that, and I don't take that for granted one single day. I know there was a reason that I did make it. And, you know, obviously it's to, to help those people who are in that space now who think that there is no hope. Uh, so yeah, so there, the doctors still, because there are people that are able to sort of reset themselves after it, they still utilize it, but it is torturous. I mean, it was pure torture. It was terrifying uh, you know, it's treated as completely clinical. I mean, which I understand doctors have to keep their distance to some extent, but I was a baby <laughs> at the time, you know, and, um, it was a lot, it was a lot to just even process that trauma, uh, uh, you know, along with anything else that I, um, that I was experiencing before that had even occurred, right? So they kind of gave me something else to deal with instead of helping me with the problem. You know, everything is is treated so, again, symptomatically, right? This hurts, okay, take this pill and you won't feel the pain anymore. Well, okay, great, but you haven't dealt with the reason that the pain occurred in the first place. And that's how we look at all of these things. I mean, to, to think that you could take a pill to be happy is really kind of a funny concept, right? Because even if it works, and I know that some medications do work for people, and I'm not a doctor and I'm not pretending to be one, but I know they work for some people, but just to think that, okay, I've taken this pill, it made me happy, so now what? I have to take this pill for the rest of my life. Um, I'm completely dependent upon this for my emotional state. I mean, that's kind of a scary place to be in and of itself. So I think there's a lot to tackle and a lot to take on right now. I think you have to really, again, do your own research, really listen to yourself, um, to your own body, to your heart, and and do what feels good for you and keep other people's opinion out of it. 
no, definitely. And even just on the like placebo effect, like th th sometimes they get better results, which shows it's the mind. So kind of going into the mindset, because I know you kind of do the meditation and the breath. Work. Yes. You might kind of let me know your journey on that, getting into the meditation and breath work. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was completely ignorant. I knew nothing about anything. When I started studying happiness, I started in the two places where I thought that something might be there, right? It was religion and philosophy. And those are the things that I started reading and and studying. Um, I had grown grown up Roman Catholic, and um, I saw a lot of guilt and shame involved in that religion. So I kind of deviated from that mindset and went to other places and and discovered meditation. Um, and didn't know what I was doing when I started with that either. But of course, you start seeking out teachers and just like there are good therapists and bad therapists and good doctors and bad doctors, there's good meditation teachers and bad meditation teachers. And the great part about it is you learn from both. <laughs> you learn what not to do and you learn what works for you. Um, I was also became very interested in other forms of treatment for people, right? I mean, I was all about anything that could work. What What is the answer? What are the answers? And so my first book was really just about the trial and error of me taking on these things, seeing what worked for me, what didn't. And um, I just sort of sus suspended all, you know, expectation and belief and just said, okay, I'm going to treat this like a science experiment and see exactly what works and what doesn't and give it, you know, enough time to stay that I actually tried it. And so, you know, you start looking at other treatment modalities and psychedelics come up. And I had read about uh, one doctor in the 50s who had done a lot of treatment of very suicidal people with LSD and had great results. Um, but then LSD was illegalized. It was, and, and he couldn't use it anymore. So uh, he had to come up with a new way of of getting to the state that these people were getting to on the LSD. And he developed this holotropic breathing technique. Um, and then he had passed it down. And I was actually lucky enough to work with one of his protégés um, on learning that breathing technique, which, you know, sort of takes you to this altered mental state. I really think that um, people are scared of things like that because, again, it's not something that we're taught um, it looks weird to us. We think we're doing it wrong. Um, if we, you know, are thinking at all, we think that's bad. Uh, I can't sit still. I can't do this. And the truth is you just really have to start small and build it up. Just like if you were going to the gym and building up muscle, it's not going to happen overnight. Uh, but anything that you can do to switch the focus off from all those voices in your head to bring it back to the voice in your heart is good. So you can light a candle and you can stare at the flame and, or you can, um, you know, go to a beautiful place in the world and just stare at a beautiful landscape. Uh, you don't have to do these, you know, grandiose 20 minutes sit on the floor in a quiet space kind of a thing. Uh, I, I'm a mom. I have a little girl. So one way that I do it is as soon as I get up in the morning, I'll go and I'll I'll literally lock myself in the bathroom and I'll sit on the floor in the bathroom and I'll meditate there and give myself a few minutes there because I know it'll be quiet for a little while. And uh, it's a space that, you know, no one's going to bother me in and, and I can just kind of uh, just sort of reset for the day. Um, it doesn't have to be hard but it needs to be consistent and it needs to be a meaningful practice to you. 
it doesn't matter what it means to anyone else. It just is about you connecting with yourself because when you learn to get rid of all those voices that aren't yours or aren't the true voices and you finally connect again with that true voice in your heart and it's quiet it's subtle that's why it gets drowned out very easily that's why the meditation is necessary but when you connect with it again that voice will tell you everything that you need to know about being happy it has all of the answers for you so it is uh this amazing resource that you have that you carry with you but so easy to lose touch with. And uh, especially, you know, in today's society and we're busy and um, we're very attached to social media and competing on that. And we're very attached to society's opinions and the opinions of people we love. Um, And so again, that's where the bravery comes in of really number one, being brave enough to listen to that voice and then being brave enough to act in conformity with it, right? These are not easy things to do. They are really, really hard. Uh, but so worth it. I mean, just, uh, I mean, talk about complete game changer in your life. And like with everything, you know, you can only have one emotion. And a lot of people, especially in the last two, it's nearly three years now at this stage, negativity, negativity. People are listening to the radio. They're listening to the news. And that begins the topic of conversation. And like a lot of people aren't aware, but you know some people i know let's call them they call themselves awake that they understand what's going on and others don't and yet in social media they're all seeing what they actually want and that's the way they actually work it shows you what you want to see because it sees you spending time on a certain things so if you're kind of concentrating on the negative you're bombarded with the negative so where's your thoughts going oh, to yeah. go you're going to be just constantly negative where's you know, for me, it's like, I love listening to comedians and everything. That's the kind of things that show me, looking for happy things. I like art and stuff like that. Everything is kind of in the positive. So you just have yeah. to kind of make that shift. So I, lo- I love the you way do. that you're, you, you've you actually done and used your child. And I've seen, a, um, you, you've you used, a, the, you've got a terminology clone, I believe it's called, that re- you, you might touch on that because I thought that was actually beautiful as well. I've seen it among oh. the t- TV shows that yeah. you've been on. Yeah, I, I, so my, the concept I say is mirror child, right? Because, you know, everyone's always like, oh, can you help me with my kid? I'm like, yeah, if, if we can help you first. Because if you show me an anxious kid, I will show you an anxious parent, right? If, if you show me a depressed kid, I'll show you a depressed parent. And it doesn't always show up exactly the same way. But what you don't realize is that your child is mirroring back to you your behavior uh, in some way, shape, or form, right? Or a parent or some caretaker in some regard, right? So, uh, you've got to be very careful. You've got to be very aware of of what you're doing, of what you're thinking, of how you're behaving, because your children learn how to be happy by watching you. And it's not taught anywhere else. It's not taught in school. There's no teaching in kindergarten even. There's no happiness 101 when you get to college. There's nothing. So they learn that barometer of their life by watching you. And if you aren't a very happy person or if you do things like uh, I say, they they clone your behavior. So C, for example, is climate, right? And I say your overall climate. And I love that word because it gives you a great visual. Are you the one who is walking around with that heavy rain cloud around you all the time, right? Always worrying, always talking about the negative stuff, always gossiping. That's a terrible behavior, right? Or when you walk into a room, uh, do you bring the sunshine with you? And I don't mean you have to walk in with like jazz hands, like skipping around, right? Because that's not sustainable and happiness should be a sustainable state. But when you walk in, do you bring some 
little glitter of, of positivity with you, right? I mean, how do you start each day? Do you start it in a positive way with a positive attitude? How do you start each day with your kids? You know, is everyone running around and screaming and whatever else, or do you set the intention to have a good day? Uh, one of my mentors, uh, was Bob Proctor. And I remember him telling a story about he and his son, they, they call each other, they, he passed away, but they would call each other every morning and they did something called talk good behind people's backs. Uh, and I just love that concept. So it's something I adopted with my daughter when she was old enough. Right. And so now she'll come home and she'll tell me, oh, so-and-so was saying this about somebody. So I said, oh, we should talk good about behind people's backs. And so I just started saying really nice people, uh, nice things about that person who wasn't around. And then other people joined in. So that's what I mean. Like my daughter's climate is in a place where she perceives negativity coming in. And she doesn't condemn anybody for it. She just says, oh, why don't we shift it? to to a positive note right and everybody can leave the conversation feeling a little bit better um, about themselves or just about life in general uh, I mean I think the ability to do that at such a young age is huge I mean think about what it could change in your life if you had that awareness and that power um, so yeah it's it's really just about being aware of of what you're doing, which is a really difficult thing to do. Again, meditation will help you do that because to be aware, you've got to be able to pull yourself back into the present moment and kind of watch your own behavior through sort of these unobjective lens, right? Um, a difficult, again, a difficult skill to develop, but you can do it over time. And and yeah, you're going to see things about yourself that you don't like. I mean, I, I still, every day I catch myself doing stuff, but but that's the human part. Those parts have to be accepted and loved too, and then you can change them. Uh, but you can't change anything if you're not watching yourself, if you're not paying attention to what you're doing. And if your child is having issues, that's a great wake-up call to you that you're probably doing something to, you know, help form that behavior. Absolutely. And I think these days, unfortunately, the children are glued to technology because they're looking at their parents glued to technology. And right. like one thing that I did is last year, I challenged my son that we'd read a hundred books each. And he did. He, oh, that's he, so great. He, he did. Yeah, he did just on the last day because he was actually sick for a week by Christmas, but he actually did it. And, you know, like... I, I've noticed that even with games, like, you know, some people, they're buying all these big, you know, like PlayStation 5 and all these different remote control, different things. But it's like board games and card games and stuff like that. Like, I play a lot with him and I notice that he doesn't go and I mean, he has a phone because one, he can communicate with us. And it's not that right. I stop him because everybody is doing it, but you kind of limit it. You know, you make sure. He, yeah. But I noticed that every time we're just constantly playing games. He doesn't even think about it. It's like, yeah. it's just the entertainment. So it's a form of, they're bored sometimes and they're on the phone. And unfortunately, the parents are kind of shown and then they're giving out about their child. So as you're kind of saying, like what you said earlier, it's like a reflection of yourself. The child is just yes. mimicking what you're doing. Of course they're doing it. You know, you have to be really careful because, you know, we, you know, especially, you know, that there's this whole um, stigma and pressure to be the super mom, right? Like you've got to be able to do everything. And uh, great, be Wonder Woman. I, I applaud that. I am so for that. But you have to be really careful. And I used this example the other day. You know, think about when you're when you're in your to-do list mode and you're multitasking, right? So you're driving and you're texting somebody back that you were supposed to get back to yesterday. 
and you know there's music playing and you're trying to put on your mascara and your kids are in the back seat talking to you and uh and you get to to the place that you were supposed to go but I, you know when i do that i have no idea how i got there i don't remember the journey at all i couldn't tell you what song was playing while i was driving right i i don't remember the text that i sent did i send it did i not send it what did i say i can't remember i've got mascara all over my face and my daughter's looking at me with this really annoyed look because she knows i haven't heard really a word that she said right and to me that's the those are really scary moments because it means you haven't connected to any piece of your life you've you've not experienced life you've gone from task to task and and maybe you've gotten those tasks done but you're completely disconnected from the whole point of being here, right? And so if you find yourself in those modes and you're just sort of mindlessly scrolling through your phone or you're binge watching things, uh, you know, you have to really ask yourself, what are, what are you trying to escape? Um, what are you trying to not feel? What are you trying not to connect to? And if if that answer is so painful that, you know, it's difficult for you to even admit it, then then it really is time to take a look inside and say, what can I change about my situation? What can I change about my life? And that might not be easy. Those decisions are not easy to make. They're not easy decisions to carry out, but they're necessary, right? I mean, I'm divorced. That was not an easy thing to go through, but I also knew that it was paramount um, for what I wanted to teach my daughter about life. Right. And so and, and it was necessary for a lot of people's happiness, uh, an easy thing to go through. No, <laughs> not at all. Uh, painful, but necessary. And so that is the way that I see growth. Right. It's it's either the pain of remaining in this situation day after day, week after week, year after year, or it's the temporary pain of moving through it and changing things for the better. Uh, you know, my father passed away when he was very young and um, I saw him kind of constantly running this race. Um, he was always he was kind of the of the mindset of um, when I make this much money, I'll be happy when I finish this. I'll be happy when I've when I've accomplished this, I'll be happy. And he would do those things and he wasn't any happier. Um, and so he was just kind of on this treadmill. And at the same time, really sort of denying himself the things that I think would have made him happy. Um, but he was ignoring it or putting it aside because um, he had all those voices in his head telling him things like this isn't the right time. You can't afford it. It's too late in life. You know, all these things that were going through his mind, I'm sure. And um, and I never really saw him um, be happy. And I know he was capable of doing it. Um, but he just denied his heart so many times that it literally exploded. He had a massive heart attack and stroke and and he died at such a young age. And um, I still feel guilt today about not being able to do more to save him. But of course, I realized intellectually that he had to save himself. Um, I had to save myself. Right. And it, and I can help my daughter. I can give her that springboard. But ultimately, her decision to be happy or not happy will be her decision as well. Uh, all I can do is be a leader by modeling the behavior. And um, and that's what you need to do for your children. But in your own life, you need to be that leader too. And uh, and not let yourself off the hook. Like your happiness is just too important uh, of a goal, of an endeavor to uh, to make the excuses that I know that you want to make. 
Excellent. And I mean, I went through a divorce as well. And like, I remember thinking, because a lot of the time it's the children suffer because when there's tension there and it is, it is obviously difficult to break through, but like the child then is in two environments where it's totally loved instead of, and, and some yes. people, they try, I know so many people, they stay together for the sake of the child. And when you know, I mean, obviously there's ways you can go to therapy and stuff, but there's just times you're just on different wavelengths and you just, yes. you just know it's not going to work. And like, I know that it was the best decision that I made like that's, you know, when you, when you see it and, and my child right. is extremely happy and what's brilliant is, I mean, I mentioned earlier about the hundred books, but I was there to, cause I I'm big into my kind of new year's list. Cause I tend to achieve it when I kind of pl plan it out. So I was like, are you going to read a hundred books? No, my plan is to be happy. And I was like, well, yeah, I just want to be happy. And I want all the people around me to be happy. And I thought, oh, okay, excellent. <laughs> I thought, excellent. Yeah. That is it's a great goal, right? And and so much of that is is knowing yourself, right? Knowing what makes you happy, and and I mean, I'm sure you provide the space for him to uh, explore those things. Uh, so many people, and you know, they get older and they say, "I don't even know anymore." And it's like, well, you've completely lost touch with that passion in your life. You know, that's another thing you have to demonstrate for your kids. Um, if you're not out there um, seeking out something that you're passionate about, doing things you're passionate about, how do they ever learn? to have that kind of thing in their own life uh, or to pursue it. And if they don't see you pursuing it and failing at it and then getting up and trying again, how do they know to keep doing that either? Uh, you know, we, I think we take for granted um, how much parenting is really, uh, is, is lead by example. Um, you want to be a good parent, then, then do the work that you need to do to, to be a happy person. And, uh, and, and that will be enough to lead your kids along with you again the decision will be up to them ultimately what they do with their adult life day in and day out but you know this is your life too and uh, you know even if you don't have kids of course this is your life and and I think that's what hit home with me with my father is that you know you're given this one life you've got one opportunity you don't know when that's going to be taken away from you uh, I did not want to be watching the clock tick down and then know that at any given moment, that could be the last tick, right? And uh, what, I'm just going to sit here and and be regretful of all the things that I didn't do, or am I going to try, right? Because even if I don't accomplish them at the end of the day, I can say, I really tried. I really tried. No excuses, you know, nothing left on the field. I did, I tried everything I wanted at least, and I learned some stuff along the way. And I did not live a boring, unfulfilled life. I, I led a great life. Uh, and it doesn't mean it has to be grand, right? It doesn't have to be this grandiose picture of these celebrities that you see on social media and on TV, right? You don't have to be traveling around the world and, um, you know, doing all these crazy things. I mean, you could be, you could have a simple garden in your backyard and just have so much love and, and passion for that every single day connecting with mother earth. And that's, I mean, that could be an amazing life. So you really have to find what it is for you and, and let go of this idea that has to be this huge, amazing thing. As far as everyone else is concerned, it can be really simple. The, the more work that I do, the, the more I realize I don't need very much to be happy. Exactly. And just another thing as well as who you're surrounded with that 
you know, yes. you mentioned going into the room and, you know, kind of lifting things up. But there's also people that suck the energy out of you. Oh, and of I, course. I like there's times before we'd be kind of cultural and we wouldn't want to do that. But I straight away, no, I don't. I just say, yeah, they're right. not bringing, they're not serving me. I, I choose to be happy and I don't want people that are sucking my energy away. And do I ever regret that? No, you always surround yourself <laughs> with the people that make you laugh, make you right. smile, and you're lifting each other up. And, and I, I see that with kids. Kids tend to do that. And like, I noticed with my son, like he's just constantly doing things that's making him happy. And you wonder what point in life that we suck that out of them and that yeah, they go because we do we, we do, do it yeah, it's, yeah we do it to them so we have to make sure bring back the inner child in ourselves and make sure that we're just doing like if you like painting paint as you say out in the garden i love going out in the garden reading my books i'm as happy as larry when in the summer in the spring the sun shining on me right and, and simple things like that that's me fully content right it's the subtle joys and when you're living more presently they pop up more and more and uh it, it becomes a very easy thing to do every day. I mean, it used to be very easy for me to be depressed every day uh, because I did it every day. It was a cycle. It was a pattern of behavior. And uh, now because I work on my happiness every day, it's a very easy thing for me to do. But I I don't take it for granted. You know, it's just like, like I said, going to the gym. If you want to be in shape, you go to the gym consistently and then you have to stay consistent to maintain that. And the same thing is true with your happiness. As soon as you kind of forget about it and don't pay attention to it anymore, it will start to, you know, slide away from you. So uh, it's probably the most important thing you can do for you and everyone around you every single day. Excellent. Absolutely. So totally enjoyed our conversation. You might let people know how they can get in contact with you. You can find everything about me on my website at dannydenovo.com and my books are also available on Amazon. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. I'll make sure I put the link button, the audio and the video. So that's all for the meditation podcast and also the awakening podcast. I put this on the awakening because it's such an important topic and the fact that there's so many people that are kind of with, with the last two and a half years, they're feeling it, you know, the doom and gloom. So I think this is actually important to lift the spirits up, make you feel better. And the uh, best way to do it is to understand inner, inner body, inner love. And that way, do the things you love and you'll be a lot happier. So you'll find everything about me and my other podcast, bio.link forward slash podcaster. Make sure if you get the book to give her a five star rating because it really helps. And also give the podcast a five star rating. Until next week, take care.